Hey, this is Donovan here with the Solid Soul Podcast. I'm Trevor. And this is Drew. Every show we uh, talk about one person who gave us a review who's sponsoring the podcast. If you would like to be a sponsor of the show, all you got to do is give us a review. Just one word. It really helps the show out. Today, the person who is the sponsor is Always Right 22. Thank you very much, Always Right 22, for your contribution. If you want to hear more about music in general, you should check us out at our website, thesolidsoul.com. And let's get to it. So the first album that we want to talk about today, I think, is going to be Anti, and it really includes one of all of our favorite songs of the year, I think, this year, called Love on the Brain. What are your thoughts about it, guys? Yeah, so, I mean, this is a Rihanna album, and I think it really shows a lot of promise, especially in in this song in particular, compared to some of her earlier work, where I think she's always clearly been talented, she's always clearly had the vocal ability, but this is a song where that really shines and it's paired with just some really excellent lyricism as well. Um, it's it's emotionally also very interesting in terms of just a glimpse into her former relationship with Chris Brown. It's pretty interesting in the entire capsule of this year because it's very much a stylistic choice on the part of Rihanna. She's been making pop music for years now. Um, and similar to the stylistic choice that Beyonce made when releasing Lemonade, Rihanna releases this album that is very, very much artistically focused and not just a pop release of singles. She has a lot of songs on here that have a pretty wide breadth of influences, including soul sound. And on top of that, more interestingly, she actually covers a Tame Impala song um, and does a pretty good job with it, too. So it's a really good time and a pretty interesting album from an artist that we thought we were used to at this point. Yeah, and she, she does take on a lot of different things inside of this album. Love on the Brain specifically uh, experiments with sort of a doo-wop sound, which is the kind of thing you might have seen Amy Winehouse do uh, on an album like Back to Black. Even Beyonce actually at one point, about four or five years ago, experimented with it a little bit. But it's somewhere that Rihanna really hadn't gone uh, direction-wise. I think that we see a pretty large disparity, I would say, between some of the best and worst songs. I mean, you have Love on the Brain on one side, but then some of the work just doesn't quite match that quality. No, I I think that you hit a stretch of about six tracks in the middle of the album that are not excellent. They're also not terrible by any means, but they're just starkly worse, and more more than that, they're just a lot less interesting to me than the rest of the album. I guess when I think about the album, I'm trying to figure out what is different about the songs that work quite well, like Love on the Brain, like Never Ending, for me even like the opening track Consideration, and some of the songs that don't work quite as well. What is she doing differently? Well, I think I think Love on the Brain is just incredibly ambitious for starters. Um, it is lyrically ambitious in the degree to which it very clearly tackles her past and very publicized relationship with Chris Brown. It draws from a very, very influential time in black music and does a great job with its own rendition of it. Um, it's also just really conversational in a way that shouldn't make sense for the song. Uh, and that's something that I think makes a pretty good personal connection in that song that I don't think is there throughout a lot of the more rehearsed songs on the album that don't seem like there is connecting. And I think I think that's something we've talked about before on the podcast, how... 
I think that it it generally helps music a lot when you can see a very obvious and honest personal connection between the singer and the the song itself. You know, where I don't I don't think that you necessarily can see that on a lot of songs in the middle of the album that aren't as good. Um, Love on the Brain is just besides being excellent, it's just clearly a very honest song, and I think that that's that factors in a lot to how how enjoyable it is for me. And uh, definitely the best vocal performance on the album, and I think that really lets her tap into sort of a deeper level of her feelings than maybe uh, some other songs might be able to. Uh, It just doesn't seem like, like Work, for instance, which of course is the lead single, I believe it was number one in the United States for almost two full months, but to me it just doesn't feel as complete or as genuine. Um, which speaks back to what you were talking about, Trevor. With we, when we've talked about albums from this year, like A Sailor's Guide, like Lemonade, that have been some of our favorite. They come from a real, genuine place, and that's something that Rihanna definitely shows she's capable of on this album. Right. And you know, I think I think by the way, I think that work would be considerably better if it was fifty percent shorter. I just don't think that it's interesting enough to carry its length. Yeah. And for me, the Drake verse really detracts a little bit. I think from the rest of it. So one thing that's interesting to me is that we, we already briefly mentioned that she covers a Tame Impala song, which is, first off, just interesting in concept, but second off, works really well thematically with some of the rest of the album. And it's but, a new person, Same Old Mistakes, right? Yeah. yeah. And well, and on, she changed the name of the song. She actually just calls it Same Old Mistakes, yeah, I believe. Right. It's, and it's, it's interesting to me that it's, it's also a, an exceptionally faithful cover, as far as lyrically and instrumentally it just sounds very very similar it it sounds just like the same song just through a rihanna lens which is interesting to me but what's also interesting is how even with so few changes to the song the minor lyrical shifts that she makes kind of direct the song towards being more directly again about her relationship with chris brown it feels like this, that the song is now directed a lot more pointedly towards just the idea of being in a relationship with somebody who you know you shouldn't be in a relationship with anymore. Uh, it's strange to me because as much as I do expect quality work from Rihanna and generally her being a well-versed creative artist, I don't expect her to branch out into something like Tame Impala. Um, and so I was pretty taken aback by that, and by no means in a bad way, because I do agree that it matches the album quite a bit and does an excellent job. It's just definitely not what I expected coming into a Rihanna album release. And really, to me, even I enjoy the album, but even more than that, the album excites me in terms of, I think that it marks a branching out point where you could see, you could see Rihanna going f- forward from this point and becoming a different sort of artist. I mean, I think that you look at... First off, the promise of the best tracks on this on this album. You look at Love on the Brain. You look at Same Old Mistakes, the cover. Also, just some the short interlude. Um, James, James Joint. Joint. Yeah, James Joint. The short interlude is excellent, even though it's it's not long enough to really branch out into what makes it interesting. I just think that the album marks a new height for Rihanna in terms of just being an interesting emotional. An, an interesting showcase for her voice while also just really giving a lot more insight into her own personal life. And I think that she has the option, at, clearly she's shown that she's talented enough to branch out further, but she has an option at this point to go beyond just 
sort of the pop appeal that she's focused on and really go go further into something that's just more of an artistic statement, sort of like we've seen with Beyonce and Lemonade. Yeah, and that's what's interesting to me is that it's both sort of a career height. I think Love on the Brain, the song specifically, is clearly a career height, but also a crossroads because she could take all of the just raw feeling that she put into some of the tracks in this album and build on that, you know, talk more about how she feels about her relationships or where that she's at personally, or she could also backtrack into some of the music that she's made in the past. So where she goes from here is going to be interesting. I think the next album might be the most important of Rihanna's career. Well, and I also think that there's a pretty important transitional period where she's going to be making a lot of interesting choices which, with where she appears on songs. Because she has so many features already, it's going to do quite a bit for her image to temper that as well. Um, I guess the question is, you guys think she's going to be on the next Tame Impala album? <laughs> I would be interested to know whether... She had a conversation with Kevin <laughs> Parker, any member of Tame Impala, if a publicist did that. Because, you know, they, they don't have to, but they pretty much, artists pretty much always do at least tell another artist that they're going to cover one of their songs when they're contemporaries. So that'd that, be, That's less what I'm interested in. I'm more interested to see what their response was. Just Kevin Parker, just like... The way you I've, mean, I've read you, that Kevin Parker liked it quite a bit. You, you mean Rihanna, the pop star? The, the, one, the one from all the Kanye songs? That Rihanna? Kevin Parker should do um, Love on the Brain. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be a good time. I'd also like to say, by the way, to be clear, I don't think that Rihanna, if Rihanna chose to go back in the direction of her previous work rather than moving forward in the way we've been talking about, I don't think that would be a terrible thing. She's she's already a good artist. She's already Mm -hmm. a talented artist. It's just, you know, I, I think that she's showing a particularly large amount of promise right now in the direction she might be going, and I'm excited to see how that might pan out. Yeah, it's the... What might be disappointing would only be if she didn't fulfill the potential that we can see, but there's... I mean, she's made interesting music in the past, and I think it's a virtual guarantee that she'll make music that's interesting again in the future as well. To move from uh, Rihanna, who has shown... a pretty significant amount of potential on Anti into an artist that I think delivered on a lot of their potential in the past. Uh, We'll talk about Car Seat Headrest and the recent uh, Car Seat Headrest album, um, Teens in Denial. Specifically, the opener from Teens in Denial, I think, was a good segue into the album because it really shows what the lyrical quality throughout the album was. Yeah, I mean, looking at Teens of Denial, I think you have some of the best lyrical work of the entire year. Really, I think the only only other album I think that stacks up to this album so far this year in terms of lyricism alone would be Paul Simon's album Stranger to Stranger which I which I would still give the edge as best lyrical album of the year I think it's interesting uh, just to compare the two uh, how much more direct I feel like Paul Simon is throughout it there's a much more I mean not that Carsey Headrest isn't direct because he often is but the general like feeling of the album is a little bit less direct especially once you get from fill in the blank onto the rest of the album it's also while we're talking about comparisons here paul simon actually sounds like an old guy talking about generational issues teens of denial is very 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 specifically framed from the point of view of will toledo the lead singer and very much feels generational in that way um in a way that actually, to a degree, reminds me more of Father John Misty more than anybody else in recent memory, just in the degree to which it tackles the modern phenomenon with so much wit and sarcasm in a way that's a lot of fun, 
while also being incredibly dark. I'll buy that comparison. I think that it's it's hard to overstate how funny this album is at spots. <laughs> it really is a good time. It just not even to pull lyrics. We can talk about the track title of song number four on the album, which is outside of parentheses, just drugs with friends. Makes sense. But when you include the parentheses, the song is Joe gets kicked out of school for using drugs with friends, but says this isn't a problem. It's also almost certainly my favorite track on the album. It's really excellent. I would say listening to the song, the drugs don't seem to be a problem in my eyes. <laughs> no, but that's an interesting question. So uh, so your favorite song is probably Drugs With Friends. Yes. I would say mine is probably either Fill in the Blank or The Ballad of Costa Concordia. How do you feel about it, Drew? I mean, for me, it's so hard to choose between the two. I think Fill in the Blank is the best song, but I prefer The Ballad of the Costa Concordia. It's interesting talking about those two because... You have this album that is very, very drawn out and has these huge, magnanimous bridges. Fill in the blank, the album intro does not do that. The album intro very much sounds like 80s rock and poppy songs from the 80s, but does it in such a clever and brilliant way that it's great. Now, The Ballad of the Coast of Concordia embraces how long and drawn out this album is more than any other track on the album. It's what, a 10 minute song? And it features a really long spoken word interlude exactly. in the middle. Long spoken word interlude has this huge epic monologue, also has what, like three or four time signature changes throughout the song? So it's really, really an interesting shift through the rest of the album, and honestly, one of the most enjoyable parts of music this year that I can remember. Yeah, let me put it this way. I think that if you don't know Car Seat Headrest and you want one song, Fill in the Blank is probably that song, maybe followed (laughs) by Drugged with Friends. But I think once you really dive into this album, I think that you'll find a lot of other moments, especially on uh, Costa Concordia, that are really meaningful and just really interesting moments in music that you're not going to get a direct analog to a lot of other places. I also honestly think the top four or five songs I have basically in a dead heat. I just I think that the best half of the album is just completely excellent, and the entire album in general is very solid. Yeah, it's I definitely mean, not to say that the bottom half is bad. It's an no. excellent, excellent album. The album's what, about, a t- about an hour and ten minutes long? Just about. And the entire thing is buoyed up by the charisma of Will, T- Will Toledo, and just the excellent lyricism throughout, such that the length never bothers me at any point. And that's, for an hour and ten minute long album, that is pretty high praise on my part. Yeah, as someone who definitely harps on length and albums as much as anyone, I feel like the hour and ten minutes does not drag for me, really, at all. Um, And I think part of the reason for that is because he draws from a lot of interesting places. I mean, if you go throughout the song, uh, the album, it's like just... 20 or 30 years of music of rock music specifically and he draws from a little bit of all of it the most overt moment of that would be uh not what i needed which is a title that plays off of the cars song just what i needed uh the original version of this song uh, interpolated a cars sample of that song and then uh the sample didn't clear and they had to change the song in the last minute and uh the the latest version of the song the one that made it to the album there's just a moment where uh, Will Toledo interpolates some of the lyrics. But less overt than that, you have moments throughout the album where he references other... But also, you know, throughout throughout the album, less overtly, he references just all sorts of different musical acts throughout. 
Well, and there's a definitely a through line uh, in the Father John Misty comparison between the Board in the USA, one of the best songs from his recent album, and the interpolation of the Cars song and Not What I Needed. It's definitely interesting how he's just a really aware of what has happened in rock music over a really long period of time, and it's the kind of thing that you don't really see that much in the year 2016. I mean, when you're talking about great rock bands, you're talking about bands like Arcade Fire, or you're talking about bands like Radiohead. They're just not doing exactly the same thing. It's his own lane, and it's weird that that's the case because it's something that was so common 20 years ago. I mean, he just has an incredible level of awareness and tact. It's notable that when that sample got pulled, he actually reformulated the song and developed the new version within, I want to say, 48 hours, which is incredible. And uh, on top of how impressive that is, I'm not going to let you guys stop by just talking about rock influences, because there is a whole lot more going on in this album. Uh, For example, in some interviews, Will Toledo talked about how he drew a lot of influence from funk music he was listening to at the time. Now, keep in mind, this is a 21st century indie rock release, okay? But he listened to a lot of James Brown when writing this album, and it comes through in the music. Particularly on the second track, Vincent, you have horns that sound straight from a James Brown release. It's incredible, and it's really, really just unbelievable how much this guy is drawing from other artists, whether it be you talk about 21st century guys, or you talk about James Brown, you talk about the police, you talk about... Um, the Ramones with fill in the blank. The, the Ramones. I mean, it... It really all. I I also think that it, it it really adds to the whole sly referential tone of the entire thing, where you know look at look at the, the moment in in um not what I needed, where Will Toledo is interpolating the Cars lyrics. But I mean you know throughout the album with that tone, you look at like just lyrically like in in Drugs with Friends, um, he says he says last Friday I took acid and mushrooms. I did not transcend. I felt like a walking piece of shit in a stupid-looking jacket. And that's already pretty hilarious, but the delivery alone, it's its really just an, a compelling listen the entire way through. So with all of that being said, I'm curious where y'all feel that it ranks among these years best. I think it's certainly pretty far up there. I agree. I, I have it personally at my third favorite album of the year, and very close between Lemonade with Moonshade Pool at first. Teens in Denial is actually probably my favorite album this year. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's a lot about perspective. It just resonates with me emotionally in a way that few albums this year do. And I, I think that's special. And I think it's an album that I'm going to be listening to for a long time that I really, really enjoy. Um, I'm not sure it's the best album this year, though. I definitely think that Lemonade is probably a better album. Um, and Moonshaped Pool is probably pretty close for me as well. So... It's hard for me to say it's the best album of the year, but it might be my favorite. I like it a lot. It's a really good time. I think similarly, it's probably the album that's going to stick with me the most of the ones that have been released so far this year. Um, right there with uh, Lemonade as far as my the album that I think is actually the best this year. But I think that for all of us, it seems like a trio really has emerged of the top three, which would be in some order. And maybe they're all different orders, but Lemonade, A Moonshaped Pool and uh, Teens in Denial. So I think that's interesting. It's definitely a significant development for the year overall. All right, really quickly, I think we want to hit two more albums uh, that we've reviewed recently 
And first, let's do the Eli Reed album. I'm curious what y'all think about it quickly. I thought that it was fun. I also thought that it wears thin after the first half, especially. Where I, I, I don't think that the songs change very much throughout. I think that vocally it's very, very fun, very interesting, but it just doesn't really sustain as an album for me. Yeah, that's how I kind of feel about it too. I think the vocal performance is quite interesting, especially at the beginning, but it does sort of drag a little bit for me. But Drew, you reviewed the album. I'm curious what you think the biggest takeaway from it should be. I also think I like the album a lot better than you guys. And, you know, I don't think it is an incredible album. I think it's a very interesting album because it's a fun piece of 2016 and a year that has been so modern and so moving into new ground. But Eli Reed's new album sounds like you pull it straight out of the 60s and 70s. And I think that's special. Start to finish, I think that it is a very interesting album. And I appreciated that. I appreciated that this Jewish guy who none of us had ever heard of and Wikipedia didn't appear to have heard of for very long either was releasing a gospel album that sounded like it was pulling from 60s soul. And I liked that a lot. And I still do now. Do I think it's one of the year's best releases? No, but I think it was fun to get a bit of hard rocking soul that just caught me by surprise at least it's certainly conceptually interesting to hear a jewish gospel album um i i also personally felt that i enjoyed it a lot more the first time around than the second time around so then i think we can flow right into the other album which you also reviewed drew i'm curious how you feel about 99.9 percent katronada's new album is a lot of fun um for a lot of reasons really it's an album that does drag for me mostly because it is an album where it feels like I'm drowning in features. There are so many features on this album, and I feel like so few of them work. But once you get that out of the way, we've basically covered all the things that are bad about K Trinata. Because the beats from the very beginning of the album to the end are consistently excellent. Um, just really, really, really fine production work. If you like electronic and hip-hop beats, you need to check out this album because k does an excellent job of curating these beats all the way through, and it's a really, really good time. There is some genuinely very impressive stuff on this album. I would also agree that the best part of the album by far is the work by k himself over the features. Definitely. And I, th- I think, you know, it's it's interesting because it's excellent work. It's interesting in light of the fact that k semi-recently came out, and he's one of the very, very few openly gay figures in hip-hop that I can think about, or mm-hmm. think of, yeah. off the top of my head. Um, and it's it's just, honestly, all his work alone on the album is pretty solid, and it's it's one of those things where it's it makes me optimistic for his work in the future. Honorable mention to Anderson Pack and Vic Mensa, who also had some good verses on the album as well. All right, that's about it for us at the Solid Soul podcast here. Be sure to check us out at thesolidsoul.com. We'll have a lot of great content coming out this week. And see y'all guys next time.